Our scripture reading this morning uh, comes from the second book of Kings, uh, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Uh, if you don't know where uh, Kings, uh, first and second Kings, fits in the story, uh, it is after David and Solomon and the series of Kings obviously, uh, after uh, those two major kings of Israel. And we're reading a story uh, this morning about the prophet Elisha, who comes immediately after the prophet Elijah. Elijah uh, had, a, uh, I guess, an apprentice uh, named Elisha, and this is a story of Elisha. We read in 2 Kings 4, 1 to 7. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't. Ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What we focus on matters. As a boy uh, that daydreamed much of his childhood, I learned the danger of distraction way out in right field. Uh, Right field is uh, the place that they put not great players uh, in elementary school because balls rarely go out that direction. At our age level, uh, elementary school, uh, the ball rarely got past the infield. And so, uh, you know, I I just spent a lot of time out there alone. The infield where my elementary school teammates got to touch the ball actually felt a million miles away. It literally felt like it was an entirely different game played on a different field. Um, most of the other uh, you know, uh, fielders, the center fielder and I, would kind of wander, talk to each other, wander back. Uh, it's just kind of how it was. Uh, I spent some games, actually a lot of games, staring at the batter, waiting for the inning to end, Uh, But really, I was just excited for whatever snacks the team mom had brought uh, for us to eat at the end of the game. Uh, Every inning, this is how it basically went. My focus slowly drifted away from the game to stuff around me. There was grass, there were flowers, there was sky. My brother, who was a few years younger than uh, than me, was in the stands, usually doing something weird so I could look at him. Uh, One day, these small, colorful things started flying around me, and I discovered that no less than seven little butterflies were exploring this field with me. It was a very exciting moment. It was the most exciting thing that had happened pretty much all season. Uh, By the last inning, I stopped paying attention to the game and just kind of enjoyed the company. It was nice to not be completely alone in right field. But the dream shattered when the second baseman ran past me 
uh, to get the ball that was unexpectedly hit in my direction. Uh, My coach, most of my teammates, were not amused when I told them why I'd failed to notice the one ball that came my direction uh, during that game. They didn't think it was that funny. I was like, well, there were butterflies. What can you do? Had my coach been more of a philosopher, however, he could have assured me that humanity has always struggled with focus. The history of the world, and in particular the people of God, reflects the inattention of the human heart. We just focus on the wrong things. Daily, the sin inside our hearts directs our focus away from the good things of God's kingdom toward the worthless things of this world. We are too easily distracted by too much. But in reality, our problem runs even deeper. Philosopher uh, Blaise Pascal believed humanity struggled so deeply with distraction uh, to avoid confronting the hard questions of human existence. Failing to discover meaning or purpose or community or, or love on our own, we instead focus on things that ultimately don't matter. To ease our eternal anxiety, we don't just accidentally but intentionally focus on unimportant things in this life. Our tendency to focus on the wrong things can be seen most clearly, however, when it comes to how we recognize God's blessings. In our scripture, and especially the Old Testament, every time the Israelites encountered a season of of prolonged blessing, of prosperity, their immediate response was to forget where and who those blessings came from in the first place. They joyfully accepted whatever God wanted them to have, if that meant greater prosperity or security or peace. But as they celebrated their good fortune, their focus gradually, almost quickly, shifted away from the one who gave it to them. They wanted the blessings of the kingdom, but they were indifferent about the king. Like we still do today, they seem more interested in the benefits the Lord could provide than a relationship with God himself. This misapplied focus eventually led the people of God to assume these blessings were either rewards that God had given them for doing good uh, or the result of their own efforts, that these blessings came to them because of all the hard work they did and because of uh, how they uh, did so well in that recent battle or in that recent uh, job. Focusing solely on their blessings and ignoring the source just led them further away from their father who desired not just to bless them, but to make them new, to make them a a nation of priests, to make them a nation that actually blessed, uh, didn't just receive blessing, but blessed the people around them. In fact, they were designed to bless the entire world. What the Israelites and we all too often miss, however, is that blessings are not ends in themselves. They are signs pointing to God who has planted them all around us. They are arrows pointing back to who our God is and who, what he is like. 
C.S. Lewis describes the, the difference between accepting a gift and adoring the one who gave it in a letter to a friend. And he wrote this. We cannot hear the song of a bird simply as a sound. We should learn to receive every blessing and recognize the divine source as one single experience. This heavenly fruit which we are given recalls the orchard from where it grew. This sweet air whispers of the country from whence it blows. It is a message. We know we are being touched by a finger of that right hand at which there are pleasures forevermore. There need be no question of thanks or praise as separate events or as something done afterwards. Gratitude exclaims very properly, how good of God to give me this. Adoration says, what must be the quality of that one being whose far off and momentary blessings are like this? One's mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. The blessings that we receive from God tell us about the one who gave them. When Elisha multiplies a widow's jar of olive oil to satisfy a debt she could never repay to rescue her sons from a lifetime of slavery, we learn four things about the character, about the heart of our God. The first is that every blessing reminds us that God cares specifically about each of us. Our Lord, the creator of the universe, the one who keeps the stars moving in their courses, the one who saves his people from slavery and sent his own son to die, so you might live, is invested in your life more than you can imagine. Notice who Elisha helps here. That God remembered the widow and had compassion on her situation reflects his intentional love for every one of his children. Our God does not just love humanity in general as a group, okay? That's a big distinction. He loves every person as individuals with their own unique backgrounds and stories and tragedies and triumphs. He declares in Isaiah 43, 1, do not fear for I have redeemed you, I have summoned you by name, you are mine. Our God knows our name. He speaks to us in that personal of a way. Hagar, the mistreated and forsaken a handmaiden of Sarah, who was Abraham's wife, stumbles upon this uh, unending depth of God's love at her lowest point. Abandoned in the desert, the Lord saves her and she declares, you are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. Jesus confirms God's interest in his children in Luke 12 when he reminds his followers, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, uh, the very hairs of your head all are, are all numbered. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. 
The widow's story affirms that our God not only cares about us, but will step into our lives to help and to save us. The love we see here, of course, is confirmed by the death of Jesus on the cross. Pastor Brenning Manning says that Jesus allows every person to define themselves as one radically beloved by God. The reality we see here in the story of the widow is that we are beloved by God. You are beloved by God. Billy Graham once said that even if you were the only person in the world, he would have died for you because he loves you. Even if we were the only person in this entire earth, Jesus would have gone to the cross because of how much he loves you. The second thing we learn from the widow and this olive oil is this. Every blessing teaches us about God's superabundant grace. Notice that God gives the widow more than she needs. When she talks to Elisha, all she mentions is that she has a debt that needs to be paid. But God gives her more than that. The practical results of the miracle cannot be understated. Elisha transforms one small jar of oil into many jars of oil. Now, at the time, the Israelites did not have a standard size for jars. It was, there was no standardized system for how you made a jar. Um, so some of the jars in the widow's homes could have been large enough to contain 10 gallons of oil. People have looked at jars at the time, and that is sort of the range. They could have a little jar, sort of like a mason jar that we know. They could have had a jar, you know, like a big bucket. They could have had a jar as big as a cistern. And Elisha says, go get all the jars from your neighbors, every one that they have, and fill them up. This is not just a few extra jars in the pantry, but enough to ensure a complete reversal of her fortunes. This miracle not only paid her debts and freed her children, but gave her financial security for the future. And every drop, every drop of olive oil reminded her that God she follows and the God that Elisha represents knows her condition and loves her more than she could ever imagine. The same goes for us. Our God gives us more than we need. The blessings of God. Every good thing that we have ever known in our life point to his inexhaustible mercy, which he continually pours into our heart and lives. When God blesses us, we don't get one single dose of grace that eventually wears off. God's love is not like a vitamin that we have to take every day for, for us to, to remember that he loves us. We are continually refilled and renewed because in Jesus, we are forever connected to God the Father. The Lord describes how he blesses his children in Jeremiah 32. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will not turn away. In other words, I will not stop from doing them good. This connection is not like a slow drip either. It is like a faucet turned on uh, to the fullest. 
When we encounter the grace of God, we experience his blessings more like a waterfall than a bucket streaming straight from the kingdom into our lives. The hand of God pours forth his grace with great abundance, more than we need. John Calvin says that however many blessings we expect from God, his infinite liberality will always exceed our, all our wishes and our thoughts. The blessings of God, of course, find their fullest expression in the life and death of Jesus. In Jesus, we find something more, more remarkable than a God who provides good things to his children. Our God doesn't just bless us with blessings. We find a God who provides his children with the very thing that they need more than anything else, more than food or shelter or safety. We find a God who gives salvation and provides deliverance from the wages of sin. In Jesus, our God gives us himself for our eternal redemption. In his resurrection from the dead, we find a God who provides his constant presence and the lives of whosoever calls upon his name and faith. In Jesus, we are not simply blessed. We find the one who blesses. <clears throat> Third, every blessing has a divine purpose. Every gift God gives to his children is designed to help us, designed to relieve the crushing weight of living in this broken world, of designed to comfort the broken, to lift up the brokenhearted, to erase debts. The blessings of God are designed to, re, uh, to restore what humanity corrupted in the garden, lead his children back to himself and transform us into the people he wants us to be. The widow was in trouble. She was just in trouble. Her, uh, her husband was in debt, and it was up to her to pay it. She was inherently suffering from the loss of her hus husband and would suffer more if her sons were taken from her. She would have lost not just her livelihood, but her family. She would have lost her hope. But God loves this widow and desires to pour his grace into her life precisely because she could not help herself. The miracle occurs because God wants to relieve her debt and provide her hope. Elisha's actions here embody what God declares in Isaiah 49. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even those may forget, yet I will not forget you. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. God's provision proves more than adequate, reflecting the reality that our God cares deeply about restoring those who've been forgotten and lost. David writes in Psalm 10, you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. That God blesses not merely powerful kings and rulers, but a forgotten widow overlooked even in a society that had been instructed to take care of widows reveals 
his plan for humanity and for the world. The generosity of God lays the foundation for God's kingdom. Finally, God multiplies our meager resources so all might recognize the coming of his kingdom. We can't overlook this part of the miracle because it begins with the multiplication of one jar of olive oil into an overabundance for the widow and her family. This unexpected blessing directly frees those crushed by a burden they couldn't have relieved by themselves and it granted them freedom, not just for their present, but hope for the future. And just as God's insignificant amount of, uh, just as God uses the widow's olive oil to magnify his mercy, God uses our own resources to magnify his name in our lives too. Our God gives us blessings we can never anticipate, so we might participate in the ongoing work of redeeming the broken world in which we live. No matter what we have, Our God will use it. Our God will use us, everything that we have, in ways we can scarcely imagine, both for our own growth as his children and for his glory. Early church uh, father Gregory of Nazanaeus describes how the gifts of God are designed to work in the life of believers. He says this, recognize to whom you owe the fact that you exist that you breathe, that you understand, that you were wise, and above all, that you know God and hope for the kingdom of heaven. You have been made a child of God, co-heir with Christ. Where did you get all this and from whom? What benefactor has enabled you to look out upon the beauty of the sky? The sun in its course, the circle of the moon, the countless number of stars with the harmony and order that are theirs like the music of a harp. Who has blessed you with rain, with different kinds of food, with homes, with laws, with the life of humanity and culture, with friendship and family. Is it not God who asks you now in your turn to show yourself generous Because we have received from him so many wonderful gifts. The miracle of the widow's oil sets a pattern. Sets a pattern for the people of God, not only to experience God's grace in their own life, but teaches us how to share that grace with others. Our God multiplies whatever we bring to him because of who he is. A God who rescues and restores, who redeems and reconciles, who heals and makes new. When we think about the blessings in our lives and how we should use them, we must remember that they've been given to us for a purpose. When your session looks at our budget, we don't only want to make it work so we can continue to exist as a church here. Although that is certainly something we want to do. We want to exist here for a long time. We want to be a church that does what God has always called believers to do. But our God also calls us to step into the freedom that his grace provides. Because the bigger question is, is what might God do through us 
a so-called small church in the mountains of North Georgia because he is calling us to do big things for his kingdom. He is calling each of us as individuals. He is calling us as a community to do big things for his kingdom, both in and outside these walls. The great thing about the call to generosity is that God calls us to do remarkable things for his kingdom, not just on days when we might talk about stewardship, but every day of our life. Every time we step forward in faith and give even just a little bit of our lives, of ourselves, our resources, our time, our talents, our God takes what we offer and he does something even more amazing, something that we cannot imagine. The miracle of the widow's oil shows us how we might also declare and embody the goodness of God that we know in Jesus. Remember, the Apostle Paul describes the Christian life as treasure in clay jars. God takes us. He takes us as we are, as broken people, as people who have been given many blessings, as people who have given who have been given just a few blessings, and he takes us, meager as we may be, and uses us to make this world a little bit more like his kingdom. So let us give freely today. Let us give with joy, and let us give not just today, but every day of our lives, knowing that God will take what we have And use it for the good of his kingdom. Alleluia. Amen.